Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we are counting down the top five animals you didn't expect to see at Walt Disney World this year, starting with bears. <laughs> yeah, how about that? I don't know if you had bears at Disney World on your bingo card, but if you did, good job. Um, <laughs> We are not talking about animals, but but definitely bears would be on my list, though, of animals you don't expect to see, wild bears. So for those of you who missed the story, I don't know how you could have missed it, but there was... I could have I could have easily missed it. They found a bear on Tom Sawyer Island uh, right before they opened the park, so all of like Frontierland was closed for a while. My favorite part of this was all of the photos. Like Everybody photoshopped a bear riding all of the attractions over there. I think the Haunted Mansion had to be my favorite one. That, that looked the most realistic because of the way those Haunted Mansion photos are. But so everybody kind of had a field day with this. At well, first, I, I thought it was fake. I saw a color one, but you showed me another one. I mean, you showed me That's one like also black that was and black white. and white. Yeah. So it was really good because it kind of looked like it belonged in the photo. It did. I, I mean, I, I think at first... I thought this was fake. I saw this and they're like bear at Magic Kingdom. I'm like, all right, this is a joke. Everybody's making jokes. Oh, the country bear jamboree is having auditions because Disney announced that they're making some changes to the country bear jamboree at D23. And this, you know, this bear wanted to audition for it and stuff. But no, it was legit. They found a bear. It got relocated to Osceola National Forest. So he has a fun new home now. But yeah, fun, fun story. But no, we're not talking about our... Uh, least expected animals at Magic Kingdom. We're actually talking about the greatest Disney attractions of all time this week. So we're going to go through, we're going to break it up a little bit based on like eras, but we're going to talk about what our favorite attractions are. And then we also have um, some special guests kind of giving their options as well. But before we get into that, let's cover some more Disney news uh, that happened besides the bear at Walt Disney World. So sticking with Walt Disney World, Disney did announce that the 50th statues are staying. So we talked a lot about this of, I wonder what's going to happen after the 50th anniversary is done. What are they going to do with the statues. Well, they're staying. They, they kind of made this post on social media that Imagineers are kind of updating them, refreshing them. It basically just seems like they're kind of taking off the 50th little <laughs> plaque on them and keeping them. Uh, but they're going to be staying for people to continue to interact with. I, I think this is a good idea. I mean, they're good statues. You might as well keep them for longer. But I do think it's interesting because they're basically the only things that you can interact with on Magic Band Plus. I know they have that like bounty hunter game at, at Hollywood Studios, but this is one thing of, hey, they're they're interactive, so it makes sense that Disney wouldn't want to get rid of that because then it's like, how are you going to sell the Magic Band Pluses? So they'll be continuing. Maybe someday they'll eventually sell them. I know we want to talk about trying to buy one for our house. I mean, who wouldn't want to have one of those statues in their house? But for now, they'll at least be staying at Walt Disney World for a while. Yeah, I'm glad that they're there for people to be able to enjoy them longer because they are very nice. And even like if you go frequently, I feel like there are times where you maybe don't go to certain areas of the park or you don't even bother to like look up. Like for example, last time we were there, we found the Stitch statue, which was like poised on a wall. I think it's over by the purple wall. It's by the purple wall, yeah. He's coming out of the wall. So he's a little bit harder to see. Yeah. So, I mean, it's fun that they're there and they're, they kind of provide like a fun, I don't know, something else fun to do. Definitely. And Disney also announced there was a, a presentation. Bob Iger and Josh Tomorrow uh, were at an investor conference um, down at Walt Disney World. Actually, they had kind of some of the analysts and stuff that cover the Disney company down there. And they announced that they're going to be spending $60 billion over the next 10 years in the parks and the cruise line. So that's like the Disney experiences division. So that's, that's theme parks, that's cruise line. So that's double what their initial investment plan was. And they talked a lot about trying to reach a broader audience that they said there's 700 million people that have an affinity for Disney that have not been to one of their parks. And that for every one guest that comes, there's 10 people out there that have not been to the park. So, you know, they, they talked a lot about all this land they have across all of their parks, stateside and internationally for potential additional parks, you know, maybe at Disneyland, at Walt Disney World, maybe even Disneyland Paris, kind of all over um, and expanding. So, you know, they're, they're talking a big game about all this money spending. You know, at D23, we did get some announcements on Blue Sky Concepts. I know we've been skeptical of that stuff. So I think it's interesting they're pushing this. I mean, I think it's them just trying to maybe kind of right the ship because there's been a lot of talk of 
people aren't going to the parks, Disney's in trouble, and I think maybe this is a way to kind of show some strength that, hey, no, we, we feel comfortable. Theme parks are profitable. Cruise ship's profitable. We need to spend money here. But I think I'm still skeptical on does this money even really get spent over the next decade because I think they could very easily in a couple years go, oh, economic conditions have changed. We're deciding to pull back how much we're spending. It never seems like they spend what they say they're going to spend. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sad when you really think about it because, again, it's like it's like the ride announcements where they announce something and then they pull it back and say, oh, you know, we actually usually they don't say anything. It just usually kind of goes in a quiet corner to die. And so it is kind of like I don't ever want to get excited about anything until I know that they are working on it. And this is just another one of those things. And so I, I don't know, like I it makes me cautiously optimistic, but, you know, I would I would like to believe that they are going to expand some of the existing parks, add some new lands so that there's more capacity. Um, I know that the park attendance now has been down the last couple of times we've been there. It's been really busy and crowded. So I don't know. I just, and I hope that they can do something that can make it, you know, more accessible to more people too. I mean, my thing is how are they going to spend this much money over the next decade? Because, if if they're going to spend that much, $60 billion, it's going to be all of a sudden they're going to have construction going everywhere because in the, in the rate that they build things, you know, it's going to be five or six years it takes them to do this stuff. So you got at Walt Disney World the past five years, you got Guardians of the Galaxy, Tron, and maybe Moana. Um, and so it's like if all of a sudden they're going to be doubling their investment, they're going to go from a period of not getting a lot of new stuff to just going gangbusters of just expanding everywhere all at once, which I think then has a lot of downsides too, because you're stretching yourself so thin. How, how well does that stuff work? So it's, it's interesting where, yeah, they go from not really announcing anything new to just all of a sudden being like, we're going to spend so much money in the theme parks and the cruise lines over the next decade. It's going to be unbelievable. And it's like, where is all this stuff going to be coming from? How much did it cost them to build Tron? Like, I swear it was like a billion dollars. No, I don't think it's that much. I mean, the roller coasters are a few hundred million, I think. You know, the rumored price for Galaxy's Edge is a billion. I think the thing is, you know, they talk about with the cruise line, cruise ships cost one to two billion dollars. So, you know, 60 billion is a lot over 10 years. That's six billion dollars a year. You can definitely get some stuff. But I mean, these lands do cost a lot. These attractions do cost a lot. But again, it's like, it doesn't seem like they have anything in the pipeline. So I don't know where this money is going to get spent on. Yeah, that makes sense. And then over on Disney Plus, Elemental debuted, and it actually was the number one debut for this year for Disney, and actually one of the top 10 overall debuts on the streaming service they've ever had. So it did 26 million views in the first five days. So not maybe setting the box office ablaze, but doing very well on Disney Plus. And we talked about this after we saw Elemental, that it's a really good movie, we thought once it got on streaming and people could see it, it would kind of pick up somewhat like Encanto did. So it seems to be doing very well. I think this just goes to show the problem that Disney kind of built for itself by putting every Pixar movie there for a few years free on Disney yeah. Plus. That it's not an issue anymore of the movies not being good. That, hey, Pixar, for whatever reason, doesn't make good movies anymore because that's not true. They make great movies. It's that people just now don't pay you to go to the movies to see Pixar movies where you know other animated movies like Super Mario Brothers things like that are doing well because people think I have to go see it in the theaters I don't know when it's gonna be on streaming where Disney it's not like well I just know it's gonna be free in a couple months I'm just gonna wait for it on there and you can see that everybody just waited for it because it did incredibly well you know, it's first week on Disney Plus. Yeah, I kind of feel like it's also an audience issue because you got to figure again, I think there are a ton of adults that go and see Pixar movies 100%. Like we went and saw it in theaters. But I think a lot of their audience is children and a lot of them are parents. So, you know, getting a kid to sit through an hour and a half movie without having to use the restroom, without having to do different things and getting distracted, it might be difficult. And so sitting at home in your own you know, in your own home, you can pause the movie, get up, go do something else. Like it is, it translates, I feel like a little bit easier. Whereas Super Mario, there are a lot of people that grew up playing the games that then went to go see it. So I feel like 
it's just it's probably an issue with the particular market that they're target targeting. Yeah, but I think it'll be interesting to see going forward with Pixar because I think this is a, a struggle. And again, because other animated movies seem to be doing okay at the box office, it seems to be Pixar that's struggling a bit. But yet, when it goes on streaming, the audience is still there. So I think it'll be interesting to see how Disney handles Pixar in the future where do they maybe make it longer before it comes on streaming to kind of get people you know, back in, in the habit of going to see it in theaters because it's going to be six months, a year before they can see it on streaming. Like, I think they're going to have to do something with it or, you know, tone back the budgets of these movies because they really can't afford to not have them do great theatrically um, for the, you know, the amount yeah, of money they're, they're paying Yeah, it costs a lot of money them. to make. It'd be interesting to see how they handle this, but I think it's good news that, again, people realize that it's a good movie. It's doing well. It's just a matter yeah. of now trying to to find the best place for that audience there. Yeah, I just find it scary because I just really don't want to see anything happen to Pixar, and it does make me worried. I don't think anything's going to happen to Pixar, but... Yeah, I don't know. It just makes me worried because I, I, I worry that when they take risks and they're not rewarded with tons of money like the Star Cruiser, then it it gives the, it makes them feel like that that's what what they have to do is cancel it. I don't think anybody's canceling Pixar. I think it's just yeah. How do you get? How do you boost the theatrical um, release while while kind of keeping streaming? So let's move into our main topic this week. So talking about the greatest Disney attractions of all time. So we are going to keep this to attractions that we have personally experienced. So uh, unfortunately, no Mystic Manor, no Battle for Sunken Treasure. Even though those attractions look amazing. We've not personally written them, um, so they're not going to be on the list. Sunken Treasure is in Shanghai, and Mystic Manor is in Hong Kong, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. And then also not any attractions that are no longer around if we hadn't written them. So if they're older attractions that have since been replaced and we had not gotten a chance to ride them, they're not going to be on this list as well. Um, but also included with this, we have some picks from uh, other people kind of in the Disney space. So we're going to start with Clark's pick. He is at mouse maker studio over on instagram and fun fact i actually found this out about him from uh, like a facebook page or something i saw a post but he and his wife did all six u.s parks in one day i think it was like for their anniversary or something oh, wow they did all four in walt disney world i think then flew to california did the two parks over there so that's uh that's pretty cool it's one long day Yes, it is. Um, to do that. so um, But he also does a lot of like uh, maker stuff, Disney-related maker stuff. So definitely check out his Instagram for that. He has a, a lot of cool stuff out there. But let's hear his pick. All right. Favorite Disney attractions. Um, I kind of put them in two categories. What do I have the like best experience on? And then what are the rides that I identify with more? Like what would I buy a T-shirt of or like have a poster up in my room? Um, all right. So just in terms of sheer fun having fun on the attraction um guardians is is really hard to beat and i hate that it's that new and that um you know it's not something more classic but my goodness that is everything you want in a thrill ride and then the theming is top notch um the other one i would say out in disneyland uh radiator springs racers i think has the best balance of theme and thrill it really is it's big, it's detailed, um, there's a thrill component, you're really taken to another world, um, and of course I'm a sucker for animatronics, and that has some amazing animatronics. Um, really like Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, I got to do it in Paris a few years back, and that was a, a favorite for, for a long time. Um, but in terms of like what I feel the most nostalgic about, uh, about I would guess is um, Jungle Cruise. Uh, my dream is to retire and be like the oldest skipper on the Jungle Cruise. I love the jokes. I love the theming. I love um, how easygoing it is. Uh, if I have a Jungle Cruise t-shirt, I have a Jungle Cruise shorts. You know, Is it most the, the most thrilling experience? Maybe not. Um, but that's, uh, that's my jam. I'm on team Jungle Cruise for sure. The other slow rides, um, Pirates and, and Haunted Mansion are right up there, particularly Pirates. I really like how big and grand Pirates is and, of course, all the animatronics. Um, ask me tomorrow. I'd probably say different things, but those are the first ones that, that uh, come to mind. All right, so Clark had a couple of picks there. I, I think 
you know, a lot of good picks. I'll definitely say he had uh, some good, you know, hashtag retirement goals there for wanting to be the oldest skipper on the Jungle Cruise. I've talked a lot about this that I want to work at Living with the Land. That's like my retirement <laughs> plan to just go around and sweep the floors at Living with the Land. So I'm with him I mean, there. And then if you just like, you know, die in the middle of like you could become oh one of the gosh. jokes. You could become one of the jokes. People oh, in the jungle cruise. Oh, yeah, if people all know. You the, just pretend that like it's just a mannequin. They'll be like, "Wow, that skipper is very committed." They're dying to do their job. Yeah, very committed to these bits here um, on the jungle cruise. But yeah, I think retiring to work on your favorite attraction at Walt Disney World, like that's like the dream right there. Yeah, you know, one hundred percent. Um, I, I think that's the dream, but definitely, you know, he talked about cosmic rewind and I th- definitely think we need a re-ride on that one. You know, we only got the chance to ride it once. I think it's, you know, it was a lot of fun, but I don't know yeah. that I'm ready to put it as like one of the greatest of all time after only have mm-hmm. ridden it one time. So definitely think we need a, a re-ride there though. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. So we're going to kind of break ours up into segments here based on time period. So we're going to start with the classic attractions and kind of defining this as from the opening of Disneyland to the early 1980s. So these are like some of the original attractions, some of the early stuff um, you have at Disney. Because I think it's hard to you know, say, hey, if you're looking at greatest attractions of all time and you put something like Rise of the Resistance, which is one of the most technologically advanced rides, it's going to always look better than yeah. something like the People Mover. Just because right. of the time period. But for the time, something like the People Mover was really great. And start we'll start with that. I think in terms of classic attractions, I think the People Mover is one of the greatest attractions of all time that Disney's ever done. It actually started for the 1964 World's Fair. We did a whole episode about the World's Fair if you want to hear about all of the stuff that Disney built and basically helped keep that World's Fair afloat. And then all the attractions that they then took and pulled into the parks from that. But the People Mover was one of them. It was based on uh, kind of ride mechanics they built for an attraction at the World's Fair for Ford. And Walt actually had much grander plans for the People Mover. He actually saw it as like a true mode of transportation. And, and when he was planning out Epcot, the city, not the theme park, but the actual city that he wanted people to live in, it was going to have a People Mover Esque transportation system for people to get around the city. So, so I th- is it like a more high speed kind of situation, like like a subway or something, maybe? Yeah, I, I don't know if it was faster than the actual people mover. I imagine it would be. You know, the the people mover obviously goes slow because it's it's kind of a serpentine you know esque track. So I think it was going to kind of be a straighter track. But but he saw it as a way of you know not needing cars in the city and things like that. So I, I think for all of those reasons, the history of it you know, what it could have been as it's an actual mode of transportation uh, makes the people mover one of the best attractions Disney's ever done. Another one of these attractions is the Haunted Mansion. And the Haunted Mansion in and of itself is just a really cool ride. Um, You know, there's a, we've done also other episodes about this, how there was kind of like a push and a pull about what the Haunted Mansion should really be. What the theme was. Yeah, the theming of it. It should be really scary or should it, you know, be more like kind of gags and funny and like, um, and it was really interesting because the Imagineers that worked on it ended up kind of, you know, finding a middle ground. Um, there was definitely some things that were also taken out of it. Like there was supposed to be like a, um, a fisherman, uh, like a room with a fisherman well, it was originally that actually supposed to the movie. It was originally supposed to be a, a walkthrough attraction. Yeah. I mean, that, that changed too. It was originally going to be that you walk through it. So you had a lot more time and, and yeah, they had these effects that took multiple minutes. Yeah. And so it, it was going to be, you know, much grander effects. And then when it became a ride, it was like, well, we can't have something that is a couple minutes that needs to reset, you know, now every 30 seconds as somebody comes through. So, um, yeah, that, that definitely did change a bit. But you know, ultimately what we got, you know, I think the fact that it it has still around. I mean, some of these attractions that we talk about, like the People Mover, like the Haunted Mansion, the fact that they are still around. 50 plus 60 years later i think it's just a testament to how timeless they are i also like the fact that the haunted mansion on the the west coast and the east coast don't have the same architecture on the on the exteriors like yeah, slightly how, different right yeah so how different the one setting. on the on the west coast is more meant to um 
fit in with like the New Orleans square. And then we have the one on the East Coast that has like the chess pieces on the top because it's of, more frontier land. Yeah. Square, right. Yeah. So it's just it's really cool. I mean, it creates like a lot of that at West Coast versus East Coast thing. And, and they're different. They're too. both great. Right. And they're different. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have the one at Walt Disney World, which is a longer ride and some of the stuff that's early on in the ride is kind of part of the queue over at Disneyland. So you do have a different vibe, which is one of, I think the, the rarer ones where Disney world and Disneyland have the same attraction for the most part, they're usually pretty much the exact same attraction. There's not much different where the haunted mansion, there are two very different feels to that. Um, But overall great attraction, something we have to ride every time. Another one of those early classic attractions that I think is timeless and is just a piece of Disney history and something that everybody, you know, should ride and we try to ride every time we go is the Enchanted Tiki Room. They had the first audio animatronics that Walt had ever done. You know, the story was he he got this bird and he told the Imagineers, I want to turn this in, you know, to an animatronic with audio and, and make this whole bird show. And uh and so that really was like the start of Disney. I mean, Disney is known for their animatronics, their audio animatronics on all of their attractions. I mean, they do it so well, and it all kind of started with the Enchanted Tiki Room. And I think this is where one of you kind of need to separate the decades because I think again, if you put the Enchanted Tiki Room up against any sort of modern attraction they're building, I think a lot of people are gonna be like, "Ah, oh, the, the Tiki Room's kind of boring." Like, like if you don't know the history and you really poppycock. Like, yeah, I mean, I think I think everybody listening, and I think all of us Disney fans know how great and special the Enchanted Tiki Room is, how great the music is from the Sherman Brothers, all that sort of stuff. But I do think if you're somebody who's just kind of new to Disney parks and you go and ride everything, you're going to be like, that wasn't that great because, again, it is a ride that's you know 60 years old here, but putting it in that kind of time period and the fact that it's still around today – it, it does make it one of the best things Disney's ever done. You know, it's an interesting thing when you think about the Tiki Room because it's almost like watching a movie that you like over and over again. It's like a comfort thing. Like when I go to Disney, I really do feel like I have to go to the Tiki Room and it's not like it ever changes. It's all the same stuff. It's to the point now where I can kind of mouth some of the words along with the 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 characters and but it is like a it's it's like a comfort thing to go in and sing the songs and laugh at the jokes that, that's a great point i mean i think there's probably a lot of people who you know grew up there have their favorite movie from like the 90s the early 2000s that if you watched it today the special effects are terrible the you know the, <laughs> the storyline might not be that great like the, like there may be some lacking stuff even if you look at like the early harry potter movies i mean daniel Radcliffe has talked about how his acting was terrible, but he was like a 10 or 12 year old kid in those early ones. But people love those movies because you're right. You kind of grew up with that. It holds a special place in your heart. It's very nostalgic that you don't care about that stuff. But if you compared mm-hmm. it just kind of apples to apples to a movie today, like any movie today is going to blow it out of the water just mm-hmm. because of everything they can do now. Yeah. But the Lion King still holds up real strong. It does. It, no, I mean, it does. Animated movies definitely do. But but you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's kind of that thing. So what you're saying, it's it's comforting to kind of hear those songs and go back to that, even if, even if sometimes it does show its age somewhat. I think that that's the thing. All right. This is a little bit of a diversion. But this, that's the thing about the um, live action versions, I think, that bothers me, where... Like you see that and it's almost like a show of the technology, but that's going to that quickly gets dated. Whereas the animated versions don't because the animation always looks good. But there's going to be a lot of kids that that live action versions, their version. I don't even want to talk. I don't want to think about it. And in 20 years, whenever they make a hologram version, they're going to be like, this hologram just doesn't look right. I need the live action version. Oh my gosh. And then we're going to be there. You know, at the uh, senior home being like, you should have seen the animated version. No, um, no. Going no. all the way back, so no, you just you just put me in an alternate reality, which I do not want to be in. I, I mean, if you don't think they're going to remake the live action remakes as some sort of hologram or whatever, no, augmented reality, virtual reality thing in thirty uh, years, you're, you're you are crazy. You're a hundred percent correct. That is going to happen. Disney's one hundred twenty fifth anniversary, all holograms, well, all the time. But listen, then just just do it. Do show me the the animated version but in 3d form the fun thing is though we're gonna have our time machine back then 
go back to the Adventures Club. My bucket list items will be complete. <laughs> go back and listen to that episode from uh, last week or two weeks ago about the Disney bucket list. Time machines will make sense. It's heavily featured. All right, last attraction for the classic attractions. And I'm going to put Circle Vision up there. And this is kind of just like in general. We still have some Circle Vision films today. But just the whole idea of Circle Visions and building a theater that completely immersed you 360 degrees was kind of ahead of its time. I think what's most spectacular about it is not just that they decided to put screens all around you, is that they built a new way to film this so that everything it all everything it, it, the light touches. Yeah. <laughs> That, that the film kind of completely connected. It wasn't like they yeah. just showed different parts of films around you. You kind of looked around. I mean, they built it where I think it was like six cameras, six or seven cameras. They talk about this on the Imagineering story. Um, if you check that out on Disney+, Plus, they, they actually show the camera of how they had to make it so that they all filmed at the same time and they could kind of drive a car around. So just an incredible viewing experience. And even today you go in there like, you know, the new one, the, the updated version um, in Canada. At Epcot, that that oh, Circle Vision show, Canada. Oh yeah, it has the great song. Oh my goodness, so but, good. But it does make you feel like you're there, and and everyone we we've seen. I mean, even like going to France or the one in China, like you see all that stuff, and you're like, I want to go to this. Like it just looks so beautiful, and the fact yeah. that I think is everywhere you look, you kind of get a different view of something, and you really do feel like you're there. It makes you want to go to those places, and and just the way they develop technology, and again, it's like it's early Imagineering where. Basically, everything they're doing is trailblazing. Yeah. And this is something that it somewhat seems so simple, but it is so complicated and, and to get it to work. But the way they did it is so seamless. They, they make it look effortless. And it's just an incredible thing. And if you really sit back and think about it, I think today, again, we kind of get a little bit jaded about like, oh, yeah, this technology. Seems, yeah, yeah, technology that... You know, we have 360 degree cameras now. Like they didn't have that. Like they had to invent that sort of stuff. Just absolutely amazing. Well, I will say, whenever you you know start talking about this, I'm like, oh come on, Joe. But you convinced me thoroughly that this is something that we really need to cherish from that time period. Hundred percent. So, all right. Before we move on to the next era, let's hear Julie from Double Your WDW podcast. And I want to challenge anybody to say that like five times fast because that's a lot of. W sounds in there. Double your WDW podcast. Uh, let's hear her pick. Hey guys, Julie Elster here, your other favorite Disney World podcast host. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I host Double Your WDW, the Disney World Planning Podcast. I'm also the creator of WDW.com, the Disney World Planning website. And I'm here to settle that debate for you. The best ride at Disney World. Well, my favorite ride and this was a tough one. I put a lot of thought into this, but I think I'm going to have to go with Tower of Terror. And I'm going to give you three reasons why. One, it is, in fact, terrifying. Um, I'm old school MGM Studios kid, and I thought it was terrifying then. I still think it's terrifying now. Um, number two, if you've ever been on this ride with a genuine Disney newbie, there's nothing like it. Uh, I've I've been lucky enough to do this a couple of times, and when that elevator car leaves the the shaft and starts moving forward, there is nothing nothing more hilarious than watching that person freak the heck out. Uh, highly recommended experience. So that you know, bonus points for that. And number three, people consistently clap when this ride is over, and not like annoying people who clap. You know, when an airplane lands. I mean, this is. This is amazing. People are so thrilled with this ride. I've been riding it for years, um, longer than I care to admit, because that will give away my age. But people consistently clap at the end of this ride. So you know, you know that it is good. So anyway, that is that. I've settled the debate for you. You're welcome. Um, happy Disney planning, and I'll see you guys in the parks. Uh, I like Julie's pick of Tower of Terror there. Yeah, th yeah, that's a good one. And I like it, her reasoning, uh, one of them being because riding with like a newbie is a lot of fun because they're not, they don't know what to expect with that. Oh. And so it kind of makes me wonder, like, what ride would you want to ride with a Disney newbie? Like, would it be Tower of Terror? Like, if you could pick one ride to take somebody who's never been to Disney, never been on any attractions, what ride would it be? Oh, that's tough. I right now, right off the top of my head, it would either be Tower or Flight of Passage. 
I think both of those flight of passage, I would be a little worried. I'd make them sick tower. I, I just keep flashing back to the video, like the viral video of the newscaster that got on tower of terror, didn't realize what was going on. And he just like screams at the top of his lungs. So, um, I don't know. That might be very rewarding. Yeah. I think tower is a good one. I think what some of the, you know, struggle is like flight of passage or rise of the resistance. Like if you don't like avatar, if you don't like star Wars, you might not I don't like those love attractions. Avatar, and yeah. that's a great. That's yeah. one of my favorite rides. Flight of Passage is good, but yeah, like if you don't like Star Wars, I don't know that I'd want to take you on those. So I think Flight of Passage is a good one, but like Tower of Terror is definitely a good one because you don't really have to like the Twilight Zone, and it is kind of like there's startling moments in it. You know, I think even something like Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway is a lot of fun. Oh my god! Because it's yeah. Mickey and Minnie. Like if you're going to Disney and you're new. You got to ride something with Mickey and Minnie in it. That rides a lot of fun. So I think that's a good one for a newbie. But Tower of Terror um, is definitely a good pick. So we're going to be moving on to what I'm dubbing as the expansion era. So this is the 80s through the 90s. This is kind of when Disney World starts becoming a multi-park vacation destination. Disney starts expanding internationally. So a lot of great attractions out of here. One of which I'm going to start with Epcot when Epcot started living with the land. I think I'm putting this on here just because I love living with the land and I think it is one of the greatest attractions Disney's ever done. It came with Epcot and Epcot was something different in terms of a theme for a park that Disney's uh, had ever done before. They'd only ever built like Disneyland Magic Kingdom type parks whereas you know Epcot they they started building this edutainment park not really any IP in there. You know, it was about World Showcase. You had Spaceship Earth, American Adventure. We had the Circle Vision. A lot of it were original ideas, but I think living with the land as an original concept and as an embodiment of Epcot just works perfectly on so many levels. It, it captures that that education, that entertainment. Um, it's a boat ride, which Disney does boat rides super well. And so it's, it's it's classic Disney mixed with kind of like the new direction of Disney with Epcot of being a different style of park. Uh, and I just love it. I just love living with the land. So that one's definitely on the list for greatest attractions of all time. And sticking with rides that are educational, Kilimanjaro Safaris is one of their best rides. So this one opened in when Animal Kingdom opened in like in 99. Yeah. So this is taking us basically, these are like bookends because living with the land is kind of like the beginning because Epcot opened in 82 and then you have Kilimanjaro Safaris right at 99. So this is kind of like the bookends of this quote unquote expansion era of Disney. And I've talked about before on here how much I love Kilimanjaro Safaris because unlike, you know, what I said about the Tiki Room where it's the same thing every time and you can just recite it word for word, depending on who your driver is, depending on what the animals are doing, depending on what the weather is. Depending on what animals they have. I mean, I feel like they they get different animals occasionally too. Yeah. Um, You know, like they have the uh, African painted dogs now. Which yeah. they didn't always have those. Those are, you know, new that they had recently within the past probably five or six years. Yeah. Did they have hyenas before? Or well, yeah, because they, at one point, they kind of did that like sunset one at night that they, I think they switched out the painted dogs for hyenas. So I'm not sure if they still do that because really Animal Kingdom doesn't stay open um, yeah. like into the nighttime anymore like they did again a few years ago. So yeah, they, they're, they're even tweaking of, of like what animals you're going to be able to see. Right. So I just love that. And I love the hearing the facts about the animals. I like hearing about the individual animals. A lot of times you'll get to hear, you know, little stories about some, t- some of the animals themselves. You get to see the baby animals whenever they come out. Like one of my favorite memories from being on the Kilimanjaro Safari was when the baby zebra was out. And um, even our driver didn't realize the baby zebra was out. And like got very excited. Yeah. The driver like, was very excited. That that's the thing. The cast members who work that attraction love animals just as much. And like you can tell, like in her voice, how happy she was to see that baby zebra out there. And and it kind of it like resonates with you. And when you're riding, you're like, Oh, this is something special. Like you, yeah. you can you can tell that authenticity when you're on it about the facts about the animals or about the certain animals that they like and they're excited to see like you pick up on that, and to your point, it's it's nice because it's not like they're reading a script. You yeah. know, like like on the Jungle Cruise, you can have some skippers that, depending on their delivery, you know, might be better than others. But again, they're kind of reading a script. It's not necessarily like their own original material, and so it's how much they kind of connect with it. Whereas this, it's like you basically just get to go out there and talk 
about something you enjoy talking about. Right. And and that really comes across. Right. And I almost would kind of, even though this isn't like, this isn't Kilimanjaro safaris, but I would also put like the, um, the operation window in Rafiki's Planet Watch. I would kind of group this in with Kilimanjaro safaris and that it's like a very educational experience. It's not a specific attraction. It doesn't happen every day even, but if you ever are there and you go in and you ask a cast member if there's going to be any operations going on, definitely go and check it out. Um, you know, that's really fascinating. You can learn a lot and you get to see a lot. Um, keepers come out, you can talk to them about it. It, it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in a Disney park. No, yeah. definitely. Um, and yeah, that's, not necessarily quote unquote an attraction, right? But it is it is one of the cooler things, you know. Especially if Disney's you like animals. Well. I mean, if you yeah. don't like animals, then I guess yeah. I think even even if you're not like it's it is kind of fascinating. Yeah, as long as you're not squeamish, maybe is probably yeah. A it depends way what they're doing, but yeah, I mean, even just seeing like when they were doing like the CT scan part, like yeah, to your point, cool. like you don't have to watch them doing an operation, but just kind of seeing like what they're doing and kind of what they go through is fascinating. Even if you're maybe not like a, a true animal lover. And it's amazing to see the level of care that these animals have. And I mean, in the second that they think that there's anything wrong with them, they get them in for different scans and stuff. I mean, it's better than, than even I do. Cause I'm like worried about how much it's going to cost sometimes if I'm having an ache or a pain. No, 100%. And then I have two more uh, in this era and they're both from Hollywood studios. And I, I kind of was going through this list. I was putting these down. And I was like, and I went back and looked down. I'm like, this is kind of interesting because I feel like Hollywood Studios now, it it feels like a park that you don't have necessarily like a full day worth of stuff to do. It has some definite winners in it, but then it you know part of the park is kind of like an abyss, like that animation courtyard, especially with the Little Mermaid being closed. There's not much to do over there. Nobody's going back to Lightning McQueen's Racing Academy. <laughs> you know, Aerosmith, the the rock and roller coaster, they keep talking. Is that going to get changed? Is that not going to change? So it, it's weird how it's kind of in flux. And even when the park opened, it was kind of always seen as a half-day park. But I think they had two attractions that were up there with all-time great attractions for various reasons. So one is a studio backlot tour. And I think there's, you know, it ties into universal their competitor but i think there's a reason over at universal hollywood that that backlot tour is one of the oldest attractions ever at a theme park and that's actually been around since 1964 the original tour predates that it, it goes back to you know the the universal studios they had like a tour there i think it was just like bleachers that you kind of sat in but i think that goes back even to like like the early 1900s, but the backlot tour kind of as it is now is 1964. So I think there's a reason that's been there so long because it's, it's super interesting. People are interested to see how movies are made, how that stuff works. And that's what Disney was trying to do here at Hollywood studios. I think the problem was after a while, they stopped actually making TV shows and films there. Yeah. And so it kind of just became, Hey, you're driving through, you're seeing old props for movies. You're not actually seeing any like working sort of movie studio. But still, I think that original idea is one of the best things they've done and a cool integration with, you know, what else Disney's known for. And that's kind of Hollywood and, and making films. And I would like to see them get something like that back. Like, I think maybe in California, if they do expand, maybe they, they could do something more because, again, they're at least kind of filming more stuff out there and maybe you know, make it make a little bit more sense. I think the other one, and I think this is one a lot of people love and hold dear to them, is The Great Movie Ride. And why I'm putting The Great Movie Ride on there is because of the integration with cast members as part of the ride. So this is something that I don't think Disney had done really before The Great Movie Ride. They don't do it too much since. Rise of the Resistance does this, obviously, where the cast members play a huge role in the attraction from the queue to actually riding the ride and moving the story along. But the great movie ride did this first and, and you had somebody, you know, actually narrating it. They, they interacted with what was going on. You know, they left and come back. Like they were part of the story and helped drive the story forward. I guess the jungle cruise kind of does this, but they're more just like a skipper. I feel like they're kind of passive, not not in the same way that they're actively moving the story like at Rise or the Great Movie Ride. So I think for that reason, and, you know, and again, and everybody probably has their own reason for loving the Great Movie Ride. Um, I think that is one of the best attractions Disney's ever done. Uh, I would take issue with that. I, I mean, I you got to think like the skippers and the um, what is it? Are they first order for the first order officers? 
they kind of fulfill a similar role where, you know, they, they have their own certain things. Some of the First Order officers are really mean. Some of them are uh, not. So you don't know exactly what you're going to get. But some of the interactions that you can have there can be really memorable. And some of them have been just, you know, pretty, like, normal. Yeah, well. but I, I think I'm just saying, like, my point with Rise of the Resistance is the First Order, those cast members as the First Order officers actively move the story forward like if they weren't there you wouldn't move from kind of point a to point b like it's because you get captured and they put you in a holding cell that you move to the next step and then yeah, the resistance cast members break yeah, you out to get you, you on the shuttle okay, so okay. it moves you forward and i feel like the great movie ride kind of was the start of that where you had somebody taking you on a tour and they're interacting with the different characters, the different scenes, they leave, something happens to them and then you're kind of on your own, but then they come back. Like they play a role in it. And because of them, it's kind of advancing the story kind of in the same way. Yeah. I guess I never really appreciated it that like quite so much before. And one that I'm kind of adding in here is we already talked about it, but the tower of terror, um, this ride, I just think is so iconic. It is definitely one of those rides that when I go to Disney, (laughs) um, and I'm laughing because again, I, I like to point out that I used to not love this ride, but I think it was just a little bit of fear base. Like it's the only ride in Disney that kind of terrifies me, but I love that it terrifies me. And so because it, it does like, it is scary. It kind of sends your heart up and it's your got terror throat. in its name. Yeah, Tower of terror. Exactly. Like it's so well themed. Um, I just love everything about the ride. I feel like there are Easter eggs all around. Like if you, I think it's, um, I can't remember exactly what it says, but if you look where there's like the letters in the waiting area and you look down, it spells out something like it, there's just a lot of things around to look at whenever you're inside. And then the ride itself is a blast. Um, I always love the part where you like, they open the doors and take your picture. I'm always trying to think of something clever to do there. So I don't know. It's just like the whole experience there from, from start to finish for me is just on point and yeah. I have to ride it. Yeah, and I disagree with this kind of. So I'll get to it in a second, but I disagree with the Tower of Terror in Walt Disney World being one of the greatest attractions of all time. But before we kind of jump into the next era here and I talk about my Tower of Terror pick, let's hear from Becky from Disney In Your Day and Castle Dreams Travel. We actually had her on a few weeks ago talking about what to expect on your first Disney cruise if you're interested uh, in that. But let's hear what her pick for best attraction of all time is. Hi, this is Becky from Disney In Your Day, and I'm here to tell you a little bit about my favorite Disney World attraction, which is Kilimanjaro Safaris from Animal Kingdom. I really love this attraction because it is such a unique and amazing opportunity to see animals like this up close and personal and in as close to their natural state as possible. The design of it is just incredible. It really has a natural environment for them with lots of room to roam around and be as close to their habitats as possible, really looking like an African safari thanks to the incredible Joe Rohde and all of his work at Animal Kingdom. Uh, So much of it is real. The vehicles aren't on a track. If a giraffe wants to walk in the middle of the road, then you have to wait until the giraffe decides that he is done being there. It's different every time. You might see different animals depending on the time of day. They might be sleeping. They might be active. You might see something really cool. I love that. I never know exactly what to expect when I go on the safari. And it is a great learning opportunity. I've learned so much about these amazing creatures as well as conservation and the work that's being done to try and protect them and some of these species that really do need help. Um, And Animal Kingdom just does a great job at making sure that they give them the best care that they possibly can. And I appreciate that too. I think this also goes back to um, something that Walt himself really would have appreciated when he uh, wanted to do the Jungle Cruise. He originally wanted that attraction to be with live animals. And while that wasn't something that could happen in his time, uh, Kilimanjaro Safaris is really like a grander scale of something that he had dreamed up much earlier. And I love seeing it. I love experiencing it. And I am just thankful for the opportunity to see and learn about all of these cool animals right there in Florida in Disney World. So another pick for Kilimanjaro Safaris there 
And you know, I forgot about this, but Walt's original plan, you know, Becky mentioned it for the Jungle Cruise, was to have real animals. So it's kind of a nice tie into that. And this is a question. This is serious, serious question here. Has Joe Rody ever made a bad attraction? <laughs> because I mean, Becky brings up a good point. And like, legitimately, if if any of our listeners know of an attraction or something Joe Rody did between because he did Animal Kingdom, he did a Lonnie, <laughs> Kilimanjaro Safaris. Like, if he's ever done a bad attraction. Please message I f- us. I feel like maybe somebody went to elementary school and was like, well, he one time. I want to know. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. Tell me. We are at Enchanted. He was probably brilliant then, too. We are at Enchanted Ears Podcast on Instagram. Seriously, message us for that because um, I do want to know if Joe Rody's ever done a bad attraction. All right. Moving on to the millennium era. So, kind of millennium, early 2010s here, right before kind of like the modern era that will wrap up with like the more modern rides we have here. So, I'm going to go with. The Tower of Terror, and I'm going international. So I'm going with the version they have at Tokyo Disney Sea. This opened in 2006. So I agree with you that Tower of Terror is one of the best attractions they've done. I just don't think it's the one from Walt Disney World. The one in Walt Disney World opened in 1994. So that was kind of why I was in your expansion era. But I think it took Imagineers a couple iterations to get it right. And I think the version they have at Tokyo Disney Sea is like the perfected version of it. The tie-in to the Society of Explorers and Adventurers and Harrison Hightower make it a more original story and make it more Disney. So with the original Tower of Terror, it's the Twilight Zone. It was kind of when Disney was like, we need to borrow IP from other people to kind of make it interesting. Whereas in Disney sea, they were able to tie it into like Disney lore that they basically invented themselves and that, you know, diehard Disney fans love so they can put all these Easter eggs into. And I just think it has a cooler storyline. The whole facade of it is absolutely incredible. All the brickwork because it's like a, a giant hotel. It, it feels like it's, bigger outside than the one at Walt Disney World. I think it's it's more like the one at Disneyland in terms of like size outside because Guardians is, is pretty big as well. But I think that is the best version of Tower of Terror that they've done. So for me, that's the best version of the attraction, not necessarily the one at Walt Disney World. I remember really liking that ride, but I'd be lying if I told you that I remembered it very clearly. In a lot of detail. Yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of tough. But one ride that I do remember very clearly from being over in Tokyo was Pooh's Honey Hunt. Because I think we went on it like three or four times. We did because we were so impressed. I mean, this was back in a time when I was not very into Winnie the Pooh. I think this is maybe kind of what kind of kicked off my love. No, I love how you, I love how you have to say this now because you have like an era in your life before Winnie the Pooh, post Winnie the Pooh. I mean it was before because and any, after I really st- I mean like I feel like there's just that I, I ascended to a different yeah. level if of anybody Disney. has met you now, they would be like, Wait, there was a time when you didn't love Winnie the Pooh. You have a Winnie the Pooh like sweatshirt. You have like four Winnie the Pooh lounge flies. No, lounge fly. One. You now get Instagram ads for basically every Winnie the Pooh bag that ever comes out. So cute. So yeah, there were like two or three really cute Halloween ones, and I wanted to buy them, but I'm like, I need to, I need to refrain. Yeah. So that's why I laugh when you said this is before I liked Winnie the Pooh because yeah, you're you're definitely in your I love Winnie the Pooh era. Of I'm your in life. my Pooh phase. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, but but Pooh's Honey Hunt. And I think what's so impressive about this one is this was the first trackless ride Disney's ever built, and it's better than some of the trackless rides oh, I think they've built since then. I think it's better than Remy. I think it's better than... I Honestly, I would argue it's better than Rise. I love this ride. It is so cute. The thing... like, There's an effect with Winnie the Pooh where he like goes and twirls around and disappears. Oh, that is amazing. They have it, some incredible effects over at Tokyo. The, the Beauty and the Beast attraction, which we've not had a chance... Um, to ride. Yeah, which again, it opened what a couple years after we. Yeah, which we which again is is why it's not on this list. But the transformation of the beast back into the prince, I know, is like everybody talks about that. Of just how impressive that is. Like some of the stuff they do is, is amazing. But yeah, Pooh when he like falls asleep and he starts like twirling into that dreamscape. Yeah, just as a transition into. And then like you the go into this massive yeah. room and all of these cars weave in and amongst each other and you go to different places and it's, um, I can't remember what the, I know that it's like a specific Winnie the Pooh thing that's kind of like famous, but it's like this very um, kind of trippy looking scene with trippy, almost Dr. Seussian type looking yeah, animals. Yeah, I was going to, yeah, I was going to say like Dr. Seuss, um, 
they're like, yeah, Whoville or something. Like I was gonna like mention a creature, but then I'm like, wait, no, they're they're Doctor Seuss. So, yeah, I think that's a perfect way to describe it. But yeah, like, and you go and you go up to various different things. There's like fun. I don't know. It's like being in a fun house. That particular part too. Hundred percent. A great great way to put it. Yeah. So it's just a really fun, memorable, standout ride that is unlike anything else. Yeah, you get off of it and you're like, wow, I think I like Winnie the Pooh now, and I need to ride that again. Like yeah. it, it it does an incredibly good job. Um, and even being in Japan where it's not in English and you don't understand what they're yeah. saying, like you yeah. still understand you what need, the ride is. Yeah. You don't need to understand every yeah, word 100%. they're saying. I, I think it's interesting in this era, there's a lot from like Tokyo and Tokyo Disney Sea. Like I, I think this is when they started really building a lot of their attractions. Cause again, you have the tower of terror, you have Pooh's honey hunt. I, I, I want to say journey to the center of the earth, but I don't feel like I can put it on one of the greatest attractions just because it's too short. I literally I blinked my eyes and it was over. Yeah. Like it was, we waited in line for that for probably like two hours. I feel like it was a long time. And then I remember nothing of it. The outside of it, incredible. That volcano, the animatronic in it, I think is, is what you ride it for. It's great. But it's very much like Test Track where, you know, you kind of move in slow, a few things happen, and then you shoot off really fast at the end. And that's kind of like your thrill, but then it's done. And, and I think for that reason, it's just it's too short to be one of the greatest attractions. But I will say, I do think potentially Aquatopia may be uh, the ride here kind of from Disney Sea, another ride that I think you could potentially make the argument for being one of the greatest attractions they've ever done. And it's not a flashy ride at all. It's not, but it is a trackless ride. It's another trackless ride over there, but it's a water ride. And the trackless ride nature, it's a great use of it because it's so unpredictable. You have no idea where you're going to go. So you don't know, am I going to get wet or not get wet? Because there's all these random jets and you don't know which way you're going to go. And there were some of them that we were watching. I mean, again, I, I remember nothing about Journey to the Center of the, the Earth. I remember us standing in line for this one going, are we going to get slammed by that one jet right there? Because it like is, was going straight into people's faces, but you couldn't tell where any of the cars were going. We were trying to sit like sit there and map them out. Right, because there's no track. It, it's it's complete to you. It's completely random. The only way it's you could try to figure it out is because like there's kind of like wear in the ground. Like I feel yeah. like we could see that a little bit, but it's but even impossible. That, yeah, but even just, that, it's so overlaps, and so it's like one of those child's games, like where you uh you try to connect like, like the, the strings, string, yeah. except for all of the strings are the exact same color, and it's just impossible to yeah. detect. So, you know, it, it's a water ride, but it's a novel use of that trackless ride technology. And I'm I'm surprised they haven't built that at any of the other Disney parks because yeah. it doesn't take up a big footprint. And, yeah, and, and it's not like Florida where it's 100,000 oh degrees. A water ride would be great. It's not a big footprint. People would love that. Like there would be a yeah. long line for that. I'm not sure why they haven't kind of ported that other places. I wonder if they just are scared of the fact that there's really again there's nothing like inherently Disney about it because it's well, not like it's a, a play lot of, it's a play on Autotopia yeah. so they don't have Autotopia over at, at Tokyo Disney so they have Aquatopia right but I'm saying I mean I guess they could always just add like statues in it I mean yeah. they could always put stuff in but there. I, I would say I would rather like if I'm in Florida and you had this I would rather get on this again I'd be more excited about riding Aquatopia because again it's different every time you don't know what's going to happen Versus riding Autotopia there or the oh, Tomorrowland yeah. Speedway is, is what they call it at Walt Disney World. Like I, I would yeah. much rather have this than than that. So a hundred percent. So yeah, I, I just really surprised they haven't done this. And then we have a couple over at Disney California Adventure. Um, so for me, the Incredicoaster, um, California Screaming before that. I love that ride. It's a roller coaster, so it has a loop, which is Definitely something you don't get at, at Disney parks. You know, roller coasters and, and high speed roller coasters are kind of rare, but definitely ones that go upside down. It's that old boardwalk style. It fits in with the whole Paradise Pier, Pixar Pier theming. But it's just, it's absolutely a blast. I love riding it. I, I smile the whole time and scream. It is so much fun. It's some of the most fun I've ever had on a roller coaster uh, to this day. And it's something that I can't get enough of when I'm at Disneyland. And I think it's it's just, it's so well done on so many different levels. And even the overlay with the Incredibles, I think they've integrated that well. They did a really well. good job with that. Yeah, they, they integrated that really well. And, you know, you have the on, onboard sound and everything that kind of plays that it just, it's, it's a good time. Um, and it's a great time with Disney IP. 
and I think it, it is it is pinnacle imagineering. Yeah, absolutely. I just like I like the giant like the Edna mode, and I like the Jack Jacks all throughout. Um, I like the what they did to make it the Incredible Coaster, like adding the Incredibles to it. I think really makes it great. It doesn't make me sick. It's a great ride. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, even for going upside down, it's a it's a very smooth yeah. ride. It's a lot of fun. And I think the other one over there that, I mean, I think you have to put on the list. I think if anybody doesn't have it as one of their greatest attractions of all time, they're kidding you. It's Radiator Springs Racers. And just for the theming alone, I mean, I think you could just say, just look at the theming. And that's one of the greatest attractions Disney Imagineers have ever done just because of the way they themed it. But it's a better version of Test Track. It's it's a better tie-in to a story than you know than test track, but kind of a similar you know ride mechanic. So it'll be interesting that you know Disney's talked about they're updating test track if they can maybe add more of a story and something kind of memorable to it. Because like if you think about test track, like the it's, memorable thing is you drive real fast at the end. Yeah, it's relatively slow. But Radiator Springs Racers, you, you talk about the animatronics, you talk about the racing aspect, you talk about the the rock work and the theming. Like there's you just you know item after item. But they can't. They can't do it because again, it, it's it's for their sponsorship that they've got for no, the ride. Well, what I'm saying is, yeah, they can't build that level of theming. But I think they can maybe put a better story in to test track as a, as opposed to just oh, I'm testing a car. Like have something. I think that's what I talked about going back to like the original World of Motion, where it's it, there's more of a story behind it. But yeah, I mean, Radiator Springs Racers just you you know you can name five things off the top of your head. Um, at any point in time about why it is one of the best attractions they've ever done. Yeah. And I mean, that whole area, I'm not a huge Cars fan. I don't really love the movie. And that's what these that attractions whole area do. Yeah. is really fantastic. Last time we were over there, our friend uh, made our friends made us get on to Luigi's Rollicking Roadsters, which is another a trackless ride vehicle. And that was a blast because they have songs, like certain songs that they play, and then the cars dance along with the songs. And so it kind of it's a little reminiscent of that part in Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Rail where you with are Daisy. where you're dancing with Daisy. Yeah. But it it has more variability to it. And so it's just a it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's what I think these attractions, you know, if you kind of look at maybe a common thread you're either a timeless attraction like some of the classic ones that have you know stayed decades and decades and decades or it's these attractions where they take maybe not the most popular properties like the cars movies people love but i don't think that they are you know in terms of the box office and the greatest thing pixar's ever done they're not up there they're not like toy story or like something like winnie the pooh where Winnie the Pooh's popular, but it's definitely there hasn't been a lot of like recent stuff with him. That these attractions, they take those properties and they make you you go there and you go, wow, exactly what you said. I really didn't care for cars that much, but I mean I love Cars Land. I would go back there in a heartbeat. Like it makes you want to watch the movie. It makes you want to buy Winnie the Pooh lounge fly bags. Like I, it, I have to tell you, the Cars Land does not make me want to watch Cars again. <laughs> But it makes me respect the characters That's what I'm saying. and the it, properties more. Right, but like you, you're you're somewhat invested in it. Like you go into it, like I, I'm not that invested, or even like Avatar. Like oh, I, yeah, we saw Avatar 15 years ago, but like this attraction is great. Like it it, it gives you a, a new respect for it and kind of makes you go back and go, huh? Maybe I like that more than I thought I did. And I I think that's another kind of hallmark of these great attractions where, again. You know, it's it's probably easy to take. It's actually it's actually probably more difficult, honestly. I, you know, you would think it's easy, but it's actually probably more difficult to take a property that everybody loves and turn it into a track in an attraction because yeah. you're gonna have so many people be like, well, they should have done this with it or they should have done that with it because there's such high expectations versus these properties that are maybe a little bit under the radar. You mean like Escape from Elephant Graveyard? Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> you would be disappointed in it no matter what. No, I would. I'd be so happy with such high expectations that just, it, it they just need green smoke. You they would say you you come off and be like, it's not long enough. It could be a half hour attraction. You'd be like <laughs> it's not long enough. It needs to be two hours. It needs to be the whole movie. So, it actually has to be uh, a that both the movie and the sequel to the movie i mean yeah. liking one and two all in one right now but but i think you have these ones that maybe have lesser expectations and i think it's easier to kind of 
surpass people's expectations and you come off with a higher satisfaction on them. So I, I think that's, again, yeah, one of the reasons, another reason why, I mean, not that you need even more, that Radiator Springs is one of the best attractions they've ever done. All right, and then our, our, our last pick, we're going to hear from John and Bridget from Board Game Cantina. Hey, we're John and Bridget from Board Game Cantina. Hey, Bridget. Hey, John. What's your favorite Disney attraction of all time? And why is it Rise of the Resistance? <laughs> you would think it is because I always want to beeline to Galaxy's Edge whenever we go. Yeah. But I actually, uh, while I love that ride, and I do always want to go on that ride first, I love the Tower of Terror. Mm. Love it. It's all a choice. Yeah. What do you like about it? I like that it's uh, completely unpredictable. As many times as I've been on that ride, I do not know when it's going to go up or down. And I like the weightlessness of, you know, you come out of your seat. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. I think the theming in that place is perfect. It's hard to think of a more perfectly themed setting Mm -hmm. as you're coming in. Mm -hmm. They call it the pre-show. You're right about the predictability. I have no idea what it's going to do. I also love that it's a little different between East and West. So now it's been rethemed as the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. Right, right. Mission Breakout mm-hmm. in California. And they changed what it does. I think they changed the behavior of the ride a little bit. But the fact that they could take that format and repurpose it for something totally different and have it still work, mm-hmm. which I did not think it would, mm-hmm. was pretty impressive. I love how it lights up at night, too. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. They've been doing some awesome stuff with it. Mm-hmm. That's a good choice. Thanks. All right, so another pick for Tower of Terror. So interesting, a lot of people do love Tower of Terror. So I yeah. think the fact, too, that there's multiple versions of it help. You know, yeah, I mean, they, they, talk, they talked about Mission Breakout uh, and kind of the regular version um, over at Walt Disney World. You know, I talked about the one at Tokyo Disney Sea. Like, I think the fact that there's different versions out there also helps. But it, it, it is an attraction. I think it just goes to show it's a pretty basic idea of like a drop ride. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a pretty common thing you see at a lot of like amusement parks and theme parks. The fact that they made it into an elevator, it does, right. it but, adds a certain level yeah. of creepiness to it because that is something that you have a touch point with relatively often, unless you like never go into the city where there's elevators. Like, it makes it's something me, everybody thinks about. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, I'm, I'm always like, what if this elevator stops working? What if this elevator drops? Like, right. it is, it taps into that little bit of like a deep seated fear. Um, and kind of turns it into this like fun, but also like kind of scary thing. Right. But I think that's my point. It's like, it, it takes something that like, again, it's a pretty standard kind of idea for a ride. And with the theming and, and kind of just changing it a little bit, makes it something that sticks with you that, yeah, you're right. Every time you ride an elevator, you think like, oh, is this going to be Tower of Terror? Like mm. it, it sticks with you. And I think that's why a lot of people go back and remember it. And it is just a lot of fun because it's, it's unpredictable. Like, you know, like, I, like they mentioned, you know, with the drops and the format and everything, you, you really don't know what's going to happen. I will. I do also feel like the interesting thing about Tower of Terror is I think it's one of the few Disney rides that actually have like a cultural touch point like I feel like people who don't even haven't even been to a Disney park know of the Tower of Terror and you can reference it and be like dude this isn't going to be like the Tower of Terror is it if like your your elevator jumps weirdly people know about it 100% yeah all right so we're going to wrap up here with the modern era and I think you know one there hasn't been like a ton of attractions necessarily in the modern era and I think two some of them I think we're gonna need some more time to really determine are these things going to be like all time great attractions? But I think there's two, at least for me, I have two that I, I think have, I have three. All right. But I, I think I have two here that I'm fairly confident are going to stand the test of time. And I think are already, we can see are all time great attractions. One we already talked about was flight of passage. And I think, again, they, they created a whole new ride mechanism for that. You actually feel oh, like, no. You actually feel like you're riding on the back of a banshee. It, it's incredible. Basically, once that opened, nobody went to Soren anymore. Like Soren, remember yeah. how remember how it used to Soren go? Used to be crazy. And it used to be a two hour wait. Yeah. They had to build a whole third theater there because they needed more capacity. Mm-hmm. And then they opened Flight of Passage, and now it's like Soren's like fifteen minutes because everybody's like, "Why do I want to ride that when I can go ride an actual banshee?" And now that has a three hour wait every time you're there, no matter what, uh-huh. it's at least two hours to get on flight of passage. And it's one of those ones. If you rope drop, it's usually it, like, it's, it can be a mistake because sometimes some, yeah, I mean, you we, be like, we did that before and yeah, we waited you, like an hour and a half and then missed our if opportunity. If you rope drop it, you yeah. have to be like 
in the, the first front. one. Yeah, yeah. Or otherwise it's going to fill in. And then I think the other one is rise of the resistance because rise of the resistance is like a culmination of everything Imagineering had learned up until that point. It's trackless ride vehicle, which we've talked about other trackless ride vehicles. It's got the tower of terror mechanism with the elevator drop in it. So it kind of has tower of terror. It has, cast members being part of the attraction like we talked about the great movie ride it also has multiple ride vehicles and story elements where you're not really sure where the queue ends and the ride begins because you get the mission from ray then you're going on the ship and you're like is this still kind of queue is this pre-show is it ride like it it seamlessly blends together and then just the scope and scale of it i mean walking into that hangar with the stormtroopers and looking out in space and an actual size window, the, the at ats actual size at ats and, and seeing all that stuff, all of that together. It's like, it's basically like they took everything they've ever learned, put it into one attraction and it cost them a ton of money. And I think that's why, you know, every attraction they build isn't to that scale and scope or why whenever things break inside it, they don't replace them and maybe that's or maybe repair that's, them. Maybe that's why they need the $60 billion because they need to start building fix the guns fix it and they need to you know they want to build bigger attractions like this but yeah i mean overall i think it's just the way they've put everything together um it's an all-time great attraction yeah um i think that i it's so funny because i love star wars now like i'm a huge star wars fan um but for some reason there's still something missing for rise for me and i don't know what it is um i think i i, I can't put my finger on it but what two rides that I would add? I mean, I think Flight of Passage is solid. I really, really, really enjoyed Tron. I don't know that. Tr- I think Tron is still short. Yeah, but I, I don't think there's anything unique enough about Tron right. that I could say it's one of the best yeah. attractions they've ever. Done. I, I I just want to like throw it out there that like it's just a fun ride. But I do think that maybe they could use that and use that to catapult you into something better because I just don't think Tron is necessarily the best property. Um, kind of like what you were saying, how you could take something and make it greater. The something that people maybe aren't so into that for me, like I'm missing the passion for Tron to really feel fully immersed. But I think the ride itself is a lot of fun, but the one that I do think deserves to be on this list. And I would still argue <laughs> <laughs> and I might lose friends over this, that it's better than Rise is Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Um, I love that ride. I love the imagination of that ride. I love the fact that you are immersed into a cartoon. Like you literally feel like you are inside a cartoon. I think that my first love for Disney is animation. And so the fact that they put me inside animation is just absolutely breathtaking. The song in that is so incredible the hidden mickey is in there it's so fun to look for this there's several different stories um i just i love everything about that ride minus maybe the daisy scene which still seems very random to me fun but i think it just almost seems like they were like yeah we need something to make this just a little bit longer let's add this but i just love this ride yeah i think it's a solid ride i think that's one for me like i said i i I don't know yet. Like, I, I think it's good, but I, it's not, there's, there's nothing that is new in there. I mean, maybe the projection mapping, but like it's, it's trackless ride, which has been done before. I don't think it does anything revolutionary with the trackless ride technology. I think you can make an argument with the projection yeah, mapping. That, that would be my argument. The kind yep. of the way they make like the two, like the 2d, 3d. Um, but for me, I, I I'm not ready to put it in that pantheon of, all-time greatest attractions yet all right but that wraps up our show for this week we'd love to hear your picks let us know on instagram at enchanted ears podcast what your favorite attractions are of all time also want to thank clark julie becky john and bridget for their picks we will put links to their socials in the show notes as well if you want to check out um, their instagrams or or their podcasts um, that we mentioned as well but want to thank them for their picks i want to thank everybody again for listening this week if you've not done so please leave us a rating or a review subscribe wherever you get your podcasts it really helps and we really appreciate it. Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.